It's May 31st, 1279 B.C., and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It's rare for us to have documents recording any time BC, but fortunately an ancient carving on a stone block records the coronation of the pharaoh Ramesses II on this day in 1279 BC, and from it we learn that when he was crowned Ramesses was led into the presence of the gods Atum and Horus, embraced by Atum, the sun god, while his soul floated above him and then he was sprinkled with some mystical water by Horus, he's the falcon-headed one. So, you know, nice to have a good clear picture of what this day was like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's one thing that Ramesses the Great was good at it was his own myth making and he wasn't above adding a little bit of divinity to the events that actually occurred but we do know from the depiction of this event which took place during the third month of low water so this was during harvest season that he began the day as many of us do with a purifying bath Mm -hmm. followed Mm -hmm. by being anointed with ointments then he so far so me Yes, exactly. Well, then, much like you, Ollie, he donned his white and gold yep. gown, and then he embarked on this series of ceremonies that you've mentioned, Darian, involving priests representing various gods. Oh, no, just, just go outside and get the milk at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the ceremonies culminated with the coronation, which was involved the placing of the red crown of Upper Egypt and the white crown of Lower Egypt, both together on his head and boom like that he was pharaoh he was only 24 years old at this point but Mm. he had actually been the prince regent co-reigning with his father since the age of 14 so he already had quite a lot of kingly experience yeah and he'd been captain of the army since the age of 10 i mean i hadn't Mm. even been head of my form by then um so i mean he did have a different upbringing to most of us i think it's fair to say but you still think about it's like our conversation a couple of weeks ago about marie antoinette isn't it it's it's young to inherit an empire, I think, no matter what exact age he was. Anything under 30, you know, he's Ramesses the Great. He's basically Ramesses the Great propagandist, really. But the reason, I think, that he might have been so good at that, so good at solidifying his own image, is because he was he probably had an element of imposter syndrome. It's like, my whole life I've been told I am this holy incarnation that's going to lead an empire, and I better start acting like it. Yeah, and it probably wasn't helped by the fact that his grandfather, Ramesses I, the founder of the dynasty, had not been a royal. He was a member of the officer class who had managed to elevate himself to the throne of Egypt. So I think emphasising his family's new elevated status would go on to be one of his main preoccupations as pharaoh. Ramesses will be familiar to most of us as him from Exodus in the Hebrew Bible, of the close encounter with Moses and the Red Sea, and also from Ozymandias fame from the Shelley poem. Um, So, you know, there's been a lot of myth-making that's gone on since his reign as well. And this is partly because of him feeling he has to do everything but double that any of his predecessors have done, but also because he lived for such an enormously Mm. long time. He lived until the age of 90. And one of the things that he started pretty early on on in his reign was building statues yes you guessed it to himself and they're astonishing partly because he may have had this sense that he may not have been around for very long not least of all because one of his major battles didn't go quite as well as he might have hoped but then he continues to build at this same pace for the rest of his life up until this great old age so we've got this enormous amount of work of him and that i think contributes to the myth he reigned for 66 years which makes him one of the longest reigning monarchs in world history Still. 
Yeah, he was one of a handful of pharaohs to celebrate a sed, which was a kind of a jubilee. It was a national festival that was held for the very select group of pharaohs who managed to reach 30 years on the throne. And then they would also be held every three years afterwards. So he'd go on to celebrate, we're not quite sure, either 13 or 14, which is a record. He he lived to be so old that his successor was his 13th born son. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking of children, should we mention just how many he had? I mean, it's an estimate, isn't it? But over 200 wives and concubines, apparently leading to at least 100 children. Yes, and perhaps this is explained in part by the fact that at the age of 16, he was actually given a harem by his father, which included his favourite wife, Nefertari. Uh, But it wasn't just with her who he had these many children, but uh, his other wives as well. You never forget your first wife. But you never forget your first <laughs> wife. He certainly didn't. He built lots of monuments to her and lots of monuments to his children as well. He was a very doting father from what we can tell, um, even though he had a hundred kids and there's no way that I'd be able to remember all those names. And he was solely in charge of all of the accounts of what a great man he was. <laughs> I mean, actually, four of his eight official wives were his daughters, although it's mm. unclear as to whether that was more of a kind of a political arrangement. Yes, I think the sense is that you that this wasn't actually a sexual relationship. It was kind of to establish their political legitimacy. Maybe he forgot who they were. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Could be anyone. <laughs> it's pretty easy not to have sex with your four daughters when you've got like 200 other wives. So. <laughs> but his reign actually kicked off with quite a lot of battle. And in 1275 BC, uh, he began this campaign to recover the lost provinces in the north. And the last battle of this campaign was the Battle of Kadesh, which uh, was in 1274 against the Hittite Empire and then features on a whole lot of reliefs throughout the rest of his time as pharaoh. But in actual fact, as far as modern scholarship can tell, at best, it was a draw. And so it was kind of this very early example of fake news that mm. he <laughs> he got there first and invented this kind of way of just, it doesn't matter really what happens on the battlefield as long as, long as I've been a soldier. A victory. I led my people right. to who knows what. I mean, it, was a, it must have been a pretty exciting battle, though. It's thought to be the largest chariot battle ever fought, involving up to 6,000 chariots. And Ramesses himself was definitely, we know that he was in the thick of it. He led several charges, but a lot of the details come from his mm. own account, and it's, which is difficult because on one hand, you can't take everything that the pharaoh might say about his exploits at face value. But on the other hand, it, it's the earliest battle in history that we actually have a proper account of. Well, you say proper. I mean, I mean so the, the, the main account is things that he had inscribed on tombs and monuments. So here's something he had inscribed on a temple. His majesty was confident, an unstoppable fighting force. Everything near him was ablaze with fire. All the foreign lands were blasted by his scorching breath. He slaughtered all the troops of the doomed Hittite. His noblemen and his brothers, along with the chiefs of all the countries which had supported him. His infantry and chariotry fell on their faces, one on top of the other. His majesty (laughs) struck them down and killed them where they stood. (laughs) Well, this is in his own words. He goes on to say, Everything which I attempted succeeded. I found the enemy chariots scattering before my horses. Not one of them could fight me. Their hearts quaked with fear when they saw me, and their arms went limp so they could not shoot. <laughs> That's like Kim Jong-un saying pretty much that he couldn't hit a golf ball without having a hole-in-one <laughs> as the outcome. Or Donald Trump. I mean, that could be one of Donald Trump's yeah, tweets, couldn't true. it? 
Well, one of the other outcomes of this uh, conflict with the Hittites was the very first international peace treaty, which he actually called, or between them, they, they called the Eternal Treaty. But this is the oldest recorded peace treaty in the world. And actually, we still have both sides. And amusingly, the Hittite version says the Egyptians came suing for peace and the Egyptian version says the reverse. <laughs> but the point is that he was able to leverage the no doubt impressive achievements that he did have And that was incredibly successful, wasn't it? As you said, it set a precedent which we still see echoed now in the way certain world leaders behave. It is why, when basically, when you imagine an ancient Egyptian, you're thinking of him, aren't you? You're thinking of that uh, headdress, that sort of smooth, young, slightly smug-looking face. That is, (laughs) like, the Egyptian is Ramesses the Great because he knew how to publicise. He actually had a city where he moved his palace to... Uh, which he named after himself, like Milton Hershey, uh, which was called Pi Ramesses. <laughs> so, I mean, branding was like right there, literally in the case of his cartouche, which is like a hieroglyphic stamp that had his name on it. Yeah. But he went around putting on buildings of things that he'd commissioned, but also things he hadn't. He just went around saying, yeah. like, I'll take all the Egyptian, I'll put my name on everything so everyone knows yeah. I'm involved somehow. Well, famously, it was his dad, Seti, who began Karnak, the absolutely astonishing temple with enormous sort of 100-column colonnade uh, that you can still visit today. It's astonishing. I've been there. Um, and he, <laughs> I've his, been to Hershey Park. <laughs> Arian yeah. has been to Egyptian colonnade. Both perfectly legitimate, <laughs> historically speaking. <laughs> um, but his favourite son, his fourth son, Kawamweze, is often called the first ever Egyptologist because part of his business as the son of Ramesses was digging up artefacts from Egypt's past and guess what? Stamping his dad's cartouche on them. <laughs> there's just such a there's such a sense of urgency around it as well. And the, another way that we can tell this is because he covered all these walls in reliefs, but the traditional thing to do in Egypt was for the outside walls, you'd use reliefs. You know, things would be carved into the wall so that the sun would cast a nice, impressive shadow on it. But inside you would use bas relief, which is if you think of the inside of an Egyptian temple, you cut away everything except the figures, but it takes much, much longer. But inside a lot of Ramesses' temples he just did the carving in on all the walls so that it would be finished much much quicker so there was this like kind of frantic thing of like I have to stamp my cartouche and have to write my story on every available wall I've only got another (laughs) 65 years of my reign left (laughs) (laughs) hurry tomorrow was thought to cure things like smallpox and that's sort of how it spread around Europe was via other monks Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.